This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov. Welcome, everybody. Hope everybody is staying nice and warm, even though in, today in Johannesburg we actually have a pretty pleasant day. I can't say that it's too pleasant in the studio. I think it's about minus 10 degrees in here, and I'm quite upset with myself that I didn't bring my gloves and my hat. Nevertheless, um, great weather. Great week. We are now into the second week of the three weeks of mourning for the temple. Um, things are a little bit more subdued and quiet. Um, we are not celebrating weddings and engagements and playing music and buying new clothes, etc. It's a great time to have some introspection and uh, to have kind of like a mini space in, in the year where we can maybe get rid of a little bit of our distractions and our... Um, outside influences, and look inside. And what better way to look inside than to start learning together with me the life of Abraham, the life of our forefather Abraham, who is our forefather, who is our great, 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 Zayda, and um, understanding the journey he took. And as we learned last week, journeying is part of life. One of the main ideas that is always, always spoken about is that our life is not stagnant. Our life is a, is a moving object. It is something that we, we move with all the time. And on a daily basis, we need to ask ourselves the question, where are we moving to? Like, what path are we taking? Where are we going? What are we wanting to achieve? The greatest disservice that a person can have is when one finds oneself stuck, when one finds oneself stagnant, um, because the nature of the world is such that there always has to be movement. The question is, what type of movement? Is it a positive movement? Is it an upward movement? Is it a movement towards a certain goal? Because if you're not moving in that direction, then the other way is... Um, exactly what it is. It's a downward spiral. Um, st- the stagnant nature of a human being will only just mean that they will spiral down and negativity will set in. So we are always journeying and one of the ways that we can learn a tremendous amount is understanding the journeys of our forefathers. In particular now we are concentrating on the journey of Abraham, our first forefather, and we picked up last week just on uh, the first verse which had so much um, to say in it um, regarding what things we journey from, what things affect us. And just as a as a precy and a reminder, we learned last week that our land affects us, our birthplace affects us, and so does our father's house, the 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 immediate environment in which we are brought up. Having said that, nevertheless, it is not that it needs to be because of those things that we are who we are. We can always choose to make changes. And, and, and look at different paradigms and shift. And that obviously then does require us to journey, journey to ourselves, with ourselves, by ourselves, for ourselves, all explain, um, explained last week. You're welcome to pick up on, on the podcast on Chai FM. So today what we are going to do is we are going to look at verses two, three and four which are really an extension of verse 1, where God tells Avram to journey out to Lech Lecha, to go out from his land, from his birthplace, 
from his um, place of, of, from his father's house to the land that he's going to show him. And God gives him a whole lot of promises, um, to, to, um, guide him on the way to know that, 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 that journey that God is going to give him is going to be successful. Uh, verse two and three of chapter 12 of Genesis reads, gadol, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will become a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And I will, I will, um, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Very, very interesting. Um, just the entire blessing, which we are going to uh, discuss. And um, verse 4, just so that we've got context, it says, Avraham kasher diber elav Hashem. Avraham went as God had told him. Vayelech ito lot. Lot went with him. Avram ben chamesh shanim v'shivim shana b'tzeto mecharan. Avram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, the first thing that we can see is that um, he needed those blessings because when you start going out um, on a journey and you don't complete it, you need some type of um, encouragement and some type of guarantee that you will be successful. And so on a practical a practical level, God was giving him that encouragement that don't worry, you will be great, you'll be successful, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. Um there would there is pretty much um a uh, a a nervousness on behalf of anybody, if somebody says, you know what, leave your place, go out, I'm not even telling you where to go and I'm not gonna tell you how long it will take. So God God gives Abraham that assurance. At the same time, we could ask the question as to why did God not reveal to Abraham exactly which land he was going to? Wouldn't have that been easier? Wouldn't have that given him a little bit more of 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 of, of a stability? So we are told that God wanted to reward Abraham for every stupi- every step he took. Because when one embarks on a destination without knowing where where he's arriving, things are much, much more difficult. You don't know how long you're going to be on the road for. You don't know once you leave, you know, where where you're going, how long it's going to take, what you're going to encounter. And it obviously takes a lot more courage, a lot more effort to do that. Now, God wanted to give Abraham a lot of blessing. And so he demanded of Abraham a lot more Effort, and this was one of the tests with which God um, tried Avram. Okay, for him to not only leave his land, his birthplace, his father's place, and not reveal to him how long he would have to travel, made that decision much, much more. But what we see from Avraham is that he actually embraces um, this journey. 
with gusto. He doesn't sit and wait and say, okay, well, let me make a papers. Let me speak to the embassy. Let me see how long it's going to take. It's going to take six months for me to pack up my house. It's going to take all of these things. On the contrary, no. What really happened with Abraham is that he received the command and with haste, he packed up everything and he embarked on a journey that he did not know what the goal, what the destination was, but because he understood the relationship he had with God and understood the blessings that God had given him, that had given him a tremendous amount of fortitude and and um, encouragement and um, the the ability to know that wherever he was going, God was going to be with him and everything would in fact turn out all right. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Yalkut Ma'amlo is that Abraham wanted, was not sure where he was going to live. Um, he had, he was coming from a place called Aram Naharayim and, and in Aram Nahor, those are the two places that he lived in, which was in the caliphate of what we know as modern day Iraq and in foreign cities. And, um, he, knew a lot about how, what people do and how people live, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess this is a question when one is emigrating, like what type of city am I going to? What are the important things in the city? Now, when Abraham looked around the Aharam Naharayim, Aharam Nahor, et cetera, it says he saw people eating, people drinking, people enjoying themselves, not thinking of too much more. There was, I guess, a lot of social life. And for him, that was not what, how he based his life. And so he knew he did not want to live there. And it says he eventually came to a place called the Promontory of Tyre, okay, which is the beginning of the border of the Holy Land. And there he noticed something interesting. Everybody had a skilled profession. And he prayed and said, may my portion be in this land. This, this took him, this, this, resonated with him and this was something where he saw that he could survive and I want to just like take a little bit of time discussing professions discussing discussing education we just said that we are people of the book we are readers and generally um, for as long as we have been the Jewish people probably all the way back to Abraham our forefather uh, the Jewish people have spent a tremendous amount of thought time, um, effort into education. And um, when it comes to professions, we actually spend a tremendous amount of time ensuring that we are skilled. Now, if you look in the Torah and um, you want to find the viewpoint of Torah, are we a people who has that, you know, has to take that into account a lot, or is it something that we should not? We're told that a person, it is vital for a person, a person's life depends on the skills that he knows. Many people, or maybe not many people, but some people could come from an old family where you inherit wealth, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the Torah does in, encourage um, in, in the sources, if you read, that um, even if you come from wealthy stock and you have a backing behind you, that you still should nevertheless um, find a way, a profession uh, with which you can earn a living because just relying 
on on inherited wealth and inherited education, etc., etc., um, of people before you, you could um, land up in trouble and, in fact, absolutely lose, lose everything. And the Torah says the following. It says, he who bears the measure of seed goes on his way weeping. Okay? And uh, we are told here that seed... Um, he who bears the measure of seed is now here talking about lineage, about pedigree, okay, um, where one considers himself, so to speak, the seed of important forebearers, okay, and uh, he, he, he considers it beneath his dignity to engage in a profession or a trade or his own business. What does the Torah say? He will go on his way weeping. One should rather um, m- make oneself accustomed to working because when one works hard um, and, so to speak, metaphorically bears his sheaves on his shoulder, such a person, we are told by the Torah, um, has joy, has blessing all his life and will never want for food. So, and that's why the Torah goes on to say, but he who comes with joy will bear his sheaves, meaning that one feels productive when one um, is able to work. And this is something very, very important. I guess it's a huge comment on society um, as a whole when we are looking to better the lives of others, looking to better um, society as a whole, looking to better ourselves, our families. It is important to understand that when one has work, even if it's, if it's menial work, it's manual work, if, it's, if one is engaging in the world and producing, that allows one to have a sense of dignity, a sense of joy, a sense of purpose. When one just lands up with inheritance or, or you know, as they would proverbially say, the bum in the butter, um, th- that does not lend to making a person productive. And in fact, the Torah says that type of person will Land up weeping There will come a point in time Where you've squandered the wealth Or you've done a couple of business deals It, it didn't work out And you, you come very short Not to say that there is something wrong With leaving your children with money But it certainly does say That we are obligated To to teach our children um, And I've said the story many times And it bears to be said again Because it is something very, very important to remember when we are journeying in life. Most of us, all of us work in order to better our lives and then obviously to better the lives of our children, our grandchildren. There, there, there can be many, many occasions where people, thank God, are very, very successful and are able to build wealth and, and leave trust funds and, and wealth to the family. There was a very famous a Jewish businessman that lived in in the past century, and the story is told that um, he told his children before he died that that he's writing two wills. One will will be um, to be opened at the moment of death when they hear that their father has passed on, and one will will be opened seven days later when they completed sitting shiva, when they completed um, sitting the seven days of, of, of obligatory mourning. Anyway, the day did come when this rich man passed away, and immediately, as instructed, the children opened up the first will. And in that first will, it was stated that... Um, 
the, 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 the wealthy man's state. And now that I have passed on, I have but one request of your children. Please, can you bury me in my socks? Go to my cupboard and find a pair of socks and bury me in my socks. Well, as dutiful children, um, they were distraught. They were broken by their father's um, passing. And they also wanted very much to go and fulfill their father's will. So they went to the Hebra Kadisha, the burial society, and said, you know, you're preparing the body for burial. Please bury him in these socks. And they brought dutifully brought a pair of socks with them. For anybody who knows halakha, who knows the laws concerning the preparation of the body for death, um, in Jewish law, um, as you come into this world, so you do leave, we treat the body with the utmost respect. The body goes through a washing and a purification and is prepared for burial. But the way that the body is prepared is that the body wears nothing. All the body, all that happens with the body is that the body is put in shrouds and um, in outside of the land of Israel, then into a plain wooden coffin. In Israel, they, bear, they are buried um, in, just in their shrouds, generally with the talus wrapped around them. So when these um, children, these distraught children, came to the Hebrew Kedisha and said, um, you know, please can you put the socks on my our father? That was his dying wish. That was his first and only wish in, in, in the first um, will that was open. The Hebrew Kedisha, understandably, keeping to the halakha, said, I'm sorry, we do not put on anything extraneous. We are keeping to the laws of, of the Torah. And an argument ensued, and the children did this and did that, and because they were wealthy, pulled a string here, tried to pull a string there, speak to this rabbi, speak to this person who knows this rabbi, speak to this. It didn't matter how they pulled, how they tugged, how they argued. Whatever they tried to do, they were not successful in burying their father with socks. Their father was buried that day um, in the same manner that each and every single one of us um, will be buried at the end of our lifetime and how our ancestors and everybody before us um, were buried. Anyway, they proceeded with the seven days of mourning, the shiver period, and when they were ready to get up and they were ready to um, integrate back into the world after mourning their father for seven days, they dutifully opened up the second will, which they they assumed would now talk about the dissolution of the their late father's estate, the distribution of the wealth and the money around, and they all gathered round to hear the further instructions of the father. To which the father wrote as a, an introduction to his will, by now you will have mourned me for seven days, and by now you will have realized that despite who you are, and despite the wealth and the weight that you carry in, in, in the society, you were not even able to bury me in my socks. Now that my, my inheritance is waiting for you to divide between yourselves, know that all of this inheritance is worth absolutely nothing, because at the end of the day, you couldn't even take something as simple as socks and put them on my feet. I left with, left this world without socks. So too you should know, dear children, that whilst money and inheritance 
and good standing and a name and anything else that is left as an inheritance only stands in good stead when you yourself make something of yourself and use it as a tool to continue um, in growth. But if you use it to relax and do nothing about it, it is worthless because look at me now. I did not get, get buried with socks. And this is a very, very powerful story. I, I love telling it because it's very, very centering. <coughs> Excuse me. It's very, you know, focused that we can spend our entire life, um, maybe perhaps either journeying towards things that are useless. We're not going to be taking our cars and our houses and our holiday homes and our Dresses and our shatels and anything else and your diamond rings and anything else with you, you're not going to. So we need to focus on things that are important. And this really now comes to the topic of what can we give our children? What tools do we need to give our children to be productive human beings um, in this world? And as I explained initially, and now we perhaps can understand on a more broad level, that is why um, in 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 Judaism and in the in the society the Jewish society it doesn't really matter where you will find Jews, whether it is in the Galut, in the diaspora, in any places there or in the land of Israel, wherever it is, Jewish parents have um, spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, sometimes with great great sacrifice, in order to educate their children. The question that is asked then is what type of education are you obligated in giving to your children? What you have a mitzvah, you're obligated if you are, if you do not teach your children. You have broken the commandment to teach them. You should teach it to your child. When you're in your home, when you're resting in your home, when you're walking out in the street of when you're lying down, when you're standing up, at all times there has to be a process of education. So the question is, what education um, are we talking about? So contrary to um, the overall viewpoint um, is that the Torah goes, it says, the main education is the education of Torah, to the Jewish, to the, to the Jewish child. Um, and that Torah is not expecting each and every single person to become that professor, that lawyer, the doctor, the dentist, the accountant, the businessman. Torah is not expecting, um, that. Torah is not expecting the other, the vice versa, that everybody should just be the rabbi and the rabbitson and a person who sits and studies all day long. One needs to a first and foremostly educate according to the the personality and the skill of the child. But having said that, in the same breath, we must know that educating our child in Torah is an obligation of the parent. And what does that mean? Well, there is a minimum that one must see that his children learns. It's impossible for any one child to learn the entire Torah if they have a propensity to, well, the life's path will take them that way and they'll, they'll become a scholar, etc., etc. But there is a minimum. The first is that one needs to teach the child all the 24 books of the Bible known as the Tanakh. They should be able to 
read it, learn it, understand it. One should also be able to understand the commentary of Rashi, which is whose um, Rashi is an acronym for Rabbi uh, Shlomo Yitzchaki. He lived, um, I think it was between 1040 and 10 and 1105. Um, he gave um, commentary on the 24 books of the Bible. We are also said that we're also told that a child should learn some Mishnah that he should be able to learn Mishnah on his own. In fact, Mishnah has the word, same letters as the word Neshama, the soul, which means that it would feed the soul in an incredible way. And then a child should also learn Shulchan Aruch, which is the codified law of telling you what to do and when to do it. So a child would know what he's obligated to keep and not go against. That is the minimum obligation of teaching a child. Um, we take it beyond that. A child should also learn Midrash and learn the mystical portions of Torah and learn much, much more that is the, 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 the genre of Torah. But at the bare minimum, a child should be taught the basics. And the reason why this type of education is first and foremost, before you become the doctor, the lawyer, the, the, the accountant or whatever it is that you want to become is because this lays the moral foundation for the child. It gives the child the compass of what is right and what is wrong in this world. It allows and it gives the child the skills of of how to build, how to be part of a moral society, a society based on honesty, on integrity, on the relationship man with man, man with God. And a child grows up responsible um, and a, 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 a person who can give to the world. The skill is kind of like just the means through which he will act out that responsibility and that activity. But Torah is the framework within which we learn of who we should be and how we should behave. And so education and the obligation to educate your children is vitally important. And, um, and, and incumbent upon each and every single Jewish parent. So Jewish education um, and the child understanding who they are and where they came from and that Abraham was their forefather and all of that that, that, that entails and how we live as a Jew and how we behave and, and how to read and write and understand Hebrew so that we are able to delve into the powerhouse is of, of absolutely of, of, of vital importance. And in fact, in the parasha of Bereshit, we spoke about the fact that anybody who had the ability um, and 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 was given the 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 the, the, the abil- I guess the ability to support their children and allow them to study Torah and did not ab- did not give it to them and did abandon them. Um, it ain't going to look too pretty for them in the world to come. This is mystical text with Adel Kazilski. And what are we doing here on Chai FM at this time of day? We are going through texts, albeit mystical. We are learning uh, the foundation of Torah, getting moral instruction, encouraging um, ourselves and learning from ourselves what it is that we need to do in order to be successful human beings. And as we finished off in the last segment, this is something that is incumbent upon each parent to ensure that they give their child. Following from that Torah education, um, 
it follows through then that a parent should also then give the child the skills, the knowledge, and the education in order for them to have a profession. One of the other things that Torah says that if a person does not have an occupation with which he can earn a living, he has no choice but to be dishonest. And, oh, have we not seen this so many, many times um, in our current lives, in the news, in times gone by where um, dishon- a major big dishonesty comes from people being uneducated in the morality and the integrity of the way they're supposed to to live, not that, you know, they just got their degree. So I know we put a tremendous amount of um, of emphasis on education, but it has to be the right education. And um, spiritual education goes hand in hand with secular education, and spiritual education has to proceed precede secular education. Um, but both are important and both are the obligation of um, the parents. And that is why when Abraham looked at the people who were bordering the land of the Canaan and saw that they had trades and that they had professions, that they were also extremely wealthy, they were successful, this was the place that he wanted to move to. Nevertheless, um, he didn't make that like his goal. He was traveling because God said, travel and leave the place that you're leaving to. But that came um, as a, a sideline. I want to just take some time now to discuss the blessings. We know that Abraham was righteous. God blessed him. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. So we are told that Abraham received 16 blessings. In all these words, there are actually 16 blessings. The first is that God said, I will make you into a great nation. Why did he have to say that? Okay, because... Abraham was very, very nervous. He knew Noach. He knew Noach, um, as we said, we, we know that Noach was alive in Abraham's time. And when he knew that Noach had fathered 70 nations. And he, he was really asking himself and hence asking of God, how am I going to be different from, from Noach? So God said, you will father a great nation, the, the, the nation of Israel. Yes, the whole world descended from Noach. Okay, we know that since only Noah and his wife and his children survived the flood, they repopulated um, the world, and from there they then divided into the many nations, as we as we have discussed previously. But the people Israel, on the other hand, would be a single nation, and they would all be considered the descendants of Abraham, and so. um, Abraham is blessed to saying, it's more quality, not quantity. And you're guaranteed of a direct lineage, which we are to this very day. We are the genes and the blood of Abraham Avinu. The second blessing that he was given was that while God was saying, I'll make you into a great nation, we learned previously that Abraham was born without fully developed reproductive organs. And he really, in essence, on a practical level, was sterile. And God promised that he would be regenerated in order to have children. And this is God's intent when he said, I will make you into a great nation. 
The third blessing is that normally when one has a nomadic existence, you're wandering from place to place, you land up with three problems. Number one, you don't have as many children because just life is just too tough going from place to place. There's no, there, you're not settled. You can't concentrate on living in one place in one time. Also, traveling around is much more expensive than staying at home. His wealth was going to be diminished. Also, if you travel from place to place, you never can make an impact in one place and, and, and grow your stature and your reputation. All of those things were were working against Abraham. But God promised Abraham that although he would wander through the distant places, none of the, the those problems would, would, would happen. He would have children. He would grow fabulously wealthy. And his reputation would only increase, not decrease. The fourth blessing was that Abraham's reputation would constantly grow. In many cases, I, I guess you could say he was like a king of an entire civilized world because he possessed great genius and we are told that all the kings of the east and the west would come and seek his advice and in fact we are told here's an interesting thing that Abraham even minted a coin which was uni- universally accepted as as legal tender as negotiably tender um, there were four people that struck coins that were that eventually became universally accepted Abraham Yehoshua, King David and Mordechai Abraham's coins, we are told, had an old man and a woman on one side and a young man and a woman on the other side. And they were symbolic of Abraham and Sarah on one side, Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebekah on the other side. And this was an allusion also to the fact that Abraham and Sarah had their child in their own age. Just as a side thing, Yehoshua's coin um, had a bull on one side and a re'em. On the other side, why? Because he came from the tribe of Joseph. Joseph actually had, um, it says Joseph was very powerful. Yosef was very powerful. He was like these two creatures, the Ra'am and the bull. Um, and you see when Moses gives a blessing to the children later on in Deuteronomy, he says about Yosef, he had the majesty of a firstborn bull and his horns were the horns of the Ra'am. And I'm not tra- translating Ra'em because there kind of like is no translation in the English language. King David's coin, we are told one face had a crook and a pouch, which were the tools of the shepherd. And the other face had a picture of a tower, which represented that fortress that King David built. We can still go see um, what he built in Jerusalem. And that was alluding to the miracle of how the shepherd boy, David, rose and became King And David was king when he minted those coins, but he, he didn't hide his humble uh, beginnings. And finally, Mordechai's coin, uh, coin, it said, had a picture of a sackcloth and ashes on one side and a golden crown on the other. And that alluded to the fact that his his life began in much anguish because he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes when he heard that Haman wanted to kill the Jews. But in the end, he became viceroy to King um, Ahasuerus. So one could go also, by the way, and say, Abraham, Yehoshua, Joshua, and Mordechai were commoners. Okay, so it can be considered unusual for them to st- uh, strike their own coins. King David was a king. What's so hoo-ha-hoo? What's so unusual about him minting his, his, his coin? Um, so we're told that it was unusual because it became legal tender. It was accepted even in other 
countries. So, for example, today, you know, if you have a Turkish currency, you can't go pay with stuff in France. Um, you can't take the South African rand and buy something in America. What was great about all these four people that minted coins was that it became legal tender. And this was really the blessing that God gave that his reputation would, in fact, grow unbelievably. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back. We don't have too much time left into the 16 blessings, but let me just tell you a few more of the blessings that Abraham received. The first is that he would be honored with the first blessing of the Amidah. Um, we know we start with Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov, but we finish in the Amidah with Baruch Hashem, Magen Abraham, the shield of Abraham. So that was and always has been um, something that honored Abraham. Abraham also, um, we are told, only had complete control of 243 of the 248 parts of his body initially. There were five parts that he had no control over, his eyes, his ears, um, etc., um, as well as the ability not to have kids. And um, God then gave him like a full function of his entire body. He was rehabilitated. He was rejuvenated. Another blessing was that God gave him the letter Hey into his name Avram to make it Avraham. And that additional letter was particularly significant because Hey is one of the letters of God's name. We're told that Avraham had great success in his business affairs. Um, we're told also that all sick people in Avraham's time were cured. If a sick person came um, to Avraham, he prayed for him. And it said that um, if anybody even looked upon Avraham, they would um, get healing. So that was a blessing where it says those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be cursed. Abraham was a blessing for everybody. Um, other things were that Abraham was blessed with general success. He would land up at the end, as we will see, having children, property. He'd live to a good old age and he would inherit um, the Holy Land. He was best. He was blessed with tranquility and he had an extraordinary number of servants. So he had success in everywhere he went. We're told that the rain and the dew only came because of Abraham's merits. We're told also that um, when Abraham came to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel became blessed. And of course, Abraham, we're told um, in Yeshiao became, an, and I'm going to quote from Isaiah, Yeshiao, chapter 41, verse 8, God's friend. Abraham was known to be very, very close to God, and he was also known as God's partner. God wanted to create the world to make his greatness known, and it was Abraham, the first Jew, who fulfilled that. So we could see from here the tremendous amount of blessing that Avram, Avram received, but it is also a lesson that we too can, um, as descendants of Avraham, realize those blessings, provided we have the same priorities as Avraham. And the main priority we spoke about today was the priority of education, Torah education, spiritual education, followed then by enabling and giving skills to children to go out into the world and change the world for better. And we have seen throughout history that wherever the Jews are, the country itself is blessed, and wherever the Jews um, are thrown out, that country sadly um, withers and no longer has the majesty um, and the 
the productivity and the 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 power it had when they when they had Jews living there. So Avram's blessings are very much alive for us today. And um, as we go into this week, I bless you and ask you the question, will you be, are you, or will you be a descendant of Avraham, carrying the torch of what our forefather Avraham taught us? Wishing you a fabulous and blessed week.